Well, good morning again, everyone. Welcome to 59th Street Church. We welcome you here today um, as we actually conclude our sermon series, Greater Than, uh, where we looked at how Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. And as we round out our discussion here today on how Christ is greater than, uh, we finish our series looking today at the theme of a greater plan, uh, which is our sermon title today. Uh, but before we discuss this, I think I've, I've mentioned in various points that the reality of persecution of Christians was very, very real um, at this time. Sometimes it was, you know, it wasn't, you know, very extreme. Maybe it was just people mocking Christians, calling them names. Uh, but at other times, Christians were unjustly thrown into prison uh, or possibly even killed for their faith. And one thing I wonder about a lot maybe I shouldn't think about this too much, is what motivates Christians to continue to stick to their faith despite the fear of death, despite seeing their brothers and sisters persecuted? What allows these Christians to stick to their faith? And to allow us to get a glimpse at what that potential source of power is, I want to first introduce us to an incredible organization called International Justice Mission, or IJM for short. Uh, now, some of you might actually know about this organization, uh, but for those who do not, um, IJM was started by a man named Gary Haugen, who was a devoted Christian that also served as an attorney in the Department of Justice here in the United States. And as Gary, he, as he witnessed the senseless violence during the Rwandan genocide, he started IJM. Uh, with three core missions, to rescue victims of violence and slavery, to bring justice to criminals, and also to restore survivors back to safety and strength. And so we see that Gary has this very holistic view of healing, right? To save, to bring justice, but also to restore people uh, back to wholeness as well. And so for several decades, I IJM has brought genuine justice uh, throughout the entire world as they fight against human trafficking, as they fight against slavery, which is still happening today, and also violence against women and children. And today, I, I want to show you uh, a video, short video of one man who lives in Chennai, India, who was a victim of childhood slavery. And I want us to, to watch how IJM not only saved this man's life, but also gave him a vision, a vision of a greater plan. So Barry, if you can fly that over, and we'll full screen it and watch it. It's a very, very unfortunate uh, circumstance that you know, it's, it's, it's crazy that stuff like this still happens today and really praise God that there are organizations that, that really tackle this. And the thing is, Kumar's story, it's, it's, he's really one of many stories, unfortunately, of people who are forced um, into labor. Uh, but what I, what I find beautiful about this video we just watched is actually the source of Kumar's motivation to continue to fight for justice. Um, I don't think they mentioned this in the video, but in his biography, it talks about how he continues to be educated. I think he's going to partner with IJM to continue to bring education to children so that they do not have to be in such a state of, of bonded later, of labor. And so on the, on the one hand, you see two sides of Kamar's heart. On the one hand, you see that one source 
of his motivation is to continue to fight for justice, right? To continue to fight for justice for kids who who are you know forced into into labor at, at such a young age and you know mistreated and abused. But on the other hand, Kumar is also undoubtedly motivated by a sense of hope, a hope in a greater Chennai, in a more beautiful Chennai, a, a, a Chennai where there will no longer be any child slavery or slavery in, gener in general, uh, where children have access to education and freedom. And so we see that within Kumar's heart, both justice and hope propel him forward. And although it's likely that Kumar might never see his dream or vision of a, of a completely free Chennai uh, within his lifetime, I believe that this hope and this vision still propels him forward, still pushes him forward, despite setbacks and roadblocks that he might encounter along the way. And so as we turn our eyes back to scripture today, we're about to read the tail end of one of the most famous parts of the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, which is commonly coined as the hall of faith as it quotes all the faithful servants of God in the Old Testament who hoped for a brighter future, just as Kumar did. Uh, servants of God who through their faith accomplished incredible things, yet none of them ever saw the true fulfillment of God's promises, which were ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And so with that in mind, I want to turn our eyes to Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 32 to 40. Hear the word of the Lord. And what more shall I say? I do not have the time to talk about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. But there were those who were tortured, refusing to be released so they might gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were put to death by stoning. They were, uh, they were sawed in, sorry, some, yeah, some faced jeers and flogging and even chains and imprisonments. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed into. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskin and goatskin, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Now at the tail end of chapter 11, in the passage we just read, the author of Hebrews, he begins to throw out you know, names, but he also begins to throw out various events that happened in the Old Testament, where by faith, God's people were saved. And obviously, I think it would be a little ridiculous if, if I went through each and every single name and detailing, like he said, you know, you know, take forever to, for us to do that. And so in the interest of time, I, I want to take a look at one particular event that the author mentions. And we see that in verse 34, uh, we see that the author mentions this. He says that those who have quenched the fury of the flames. 
Are you guys ready for pop quiz? Quick Bible trivia here today. Does anyone recognize what story the author might be referencing with the quenching of the fire of the flames? Please, please do just shout it out. Um, not rhetorical. Anyone? Furnace with Daniel. Yeah, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Congratulations. That is the correct answer. So yes, I think one of the more clear stories that involves faith and the story of quenching the, the fury of the flames is the story found in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel, all of these people from Judah, unfortunately, they have been subjugated by King Nebuchadnezzar. They have been deported away from their homes now into Babylon. And the book of Daniel highlights, of course, Daniel, right? Hence the book of Daniel, but also three of Daniel's other friends um, who have crazy names who are renamed uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, all four of these men, they were incredible, incredible examples of what it is like to have a single-minded heart and a single-minded, you know, uh, being of faith for God. Uh, these four men displayed incredible faith in an extraordinarily difficult time in Old Testament history. You see, the thing was, it was commonly thought, since Judah was absolutely, and Jerusalem was absolutely destroyed, it was commonly thought of in that time that if your city and if your temple was destroyed by an opposing nation and an opposing God, that, mean, that meant that your God was defeated as well. And so it wasn't hard, or it wouldn't be hard to imagine that a lot of Jews living in that time thought that Yahweh, the creator of the universe, was defeated and that the Babylonian gods were actually the true gods. And so in the story of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar, he believed that since he was such a great conqueror of foreign nations, of opposing nations, Nebuchadnezzar clearly thought that he might possibly just be a god amongst men. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, he created this giant golden statue in his image, and he commanded that everyone must bow down before it under the penalty of death. And that if they did not bow down before the statue, they would be thrown into a furnace to be burned alive. Uh, truly a cruel era of, of human history, honestly. But as the story goes on, we learn that Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refuse to bow down before the statue of King Nebuchadnezzar. And when they, and when they were asked why they refused this is what the three friends said. They said this, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this manner. Can you imagine saying that? You're, you know, you're about to be thrown into a furnace. You're like, I don't need to defend myself. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not... We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Now in the Old Testament, the common story we often hear, or the common story we often read, is that the person in danger, right, whether that's you know Abraham or Moses or David, they would receive some sort of revelation from God that they would be rescued. And then their faith would be put to the test when that moment of crisis occurred. And if the person responded appropriately to that promise of salvation with faith, we would consider that person to have a great faith, right? We would consider Noah to be a person with great faith who heeded the words of God and responded appropriately. 
But the radical story of these three friends is that they actually did not receive any revelation of safety. They didn't receive any promise of salvation. There was no promise of rescue for these three young men. They understood theologically that God could save them from being burned alive, but they also acknowledged that they could very well be burned alive and perish as well. And in light of not hearing from God or receiving any revelation from God, they stood up for their faith in the face of death, prepared to die. They received no revelation, and yet they persisted. And so if Noah, Abraham, and Moses all received revelations of safety and are considered as one of the great examples of faith, then these three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who received no revelation of safety, must then be tremendous examples of faith. And as the story moves forward, we learn that actually by faith, they were indeed saved. They were thrown into the furnace, but not even their clothes were burnt. However, the, the author of Hebrews, he's very sober-minded. Um, he's not naive, and he does not offer the people he writes to a naive faith either. Because he realizes that although people by faith are saved, our author also acknowledges that by faith, many children of God are slain as well. In verse 34 that, that we just read, we learn that some through faith quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword whose weakness was turned into strength. Yet as the author goes on in verse 37, he mentions others who were stoned. They were sawed in two and they were put to death by the sword. I believe one of the most common misunderstandings about Christianity is actually concerning the reality of suffering. And the thing is, at, at face value, I think it's very reasonable for Christians or for people to misunderstand this. Because, you know, honestly, throughout our time at church, we hear all of these great stories of triumph, right? Where Moses would lead his people through the Red Seas, where against all odds, God would rescue his people from certain destruction, right? We read and hear stories like Gideon, who chased away an entire army with 300 men armed with basically a trumpet and, and a jar. It's crazy. And even when we ourselves consider theologically, when we think about it theologically, that our God is all-powerful and that we are the children of God who are loved by God, the basic assumption for us is that if this God really is all-powerful and all-loving, then maybe suffering shouldn't come our way. Or if suffering does come our way, then maybe we'll be like the heroes of faith who persevere and are saved at the end. And this is actually even one of the common misunderstandings of the Jewish people in the time that Jesus was alive, where they believed that this Messiah would come to conquer, just like all the stories of old that they have read. And yet, to their surprise, and to our surprise as well, even God himself must suffer. And as Christ suffered, he was not miraculously saved. He was nailed to the cross and lifted up for the whole world to see. There's no army of angels to save him. Rather, Christ bore the full cruelty. He bore the full brokenness 
of the world that we live in. Christ's obedience to death was not just about obeying the Father, but it was also about experiencing the full cruelty and suffering humans here on this world would as well. To be born into this world only to die at the hands of this world without justice, without mercy. And this is a fate that millions of people still experience even today. And yet, what is it about these men and women of faith? What is it about even Christ himself who faced persecution and was never delivered? What is it that propelled these individuals to continue forward knowing that in this life that they'll never experience justice, mercy, or rescue of any kind? What allowed these men and women to press onward while they bore the full cruelty of human evil on their shoulders? And we see that the hidden source of their power, despite being slain for their faith, is that they realize that by faith, they are also perfected. In verse 35, we see that whereas some women received back their dead, raised to life again, others were tortured and refused to be released. Why? So that they, can, so that they might gain an even better resurrection. And as the author goes on in verse 39, after giving a list of all those who have suffered and died for the faith of God, the author tells us this in verse 39, that these people were also commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Abraham was given a promise that he would be the father of many nations. But he did not live. He passed the birth of his grandchildren from Isaac's line. Yet Abraham's promise was first fulfilled through the nation of Israel and then finally perfected as men and women from around the world who believe in Christ through faith are considered Abraham's seed, which perfected the promise made by God. Although David was told that he would never be able to build a temple for God. David's dream, David's vision of a future where God finally dwells with his people was fulfilled first through Solomon who built the temple and then fully when Christ came to dwell with humanity and as the Holy Spirit now dwells within all of God's children. David's promises and David's dreams were perfected through us. And although Moses was promised to lead the Israelites into the promised land, he was told that he himself would never enter it. And nonetheless, Moses courageously led the Israelites forward, knowing that all future generations will be able to enjoy the fruits of his labor. That though he might toil and labor for something that he might never receive, he does so anyway because Moses' vision of a perfected future lies not just in his own life, but it lies in the age to come. Now presently, as all of us wait for this final promise to be perfected, as daily and daily we come closer and closer to the age where there will be a perfected promised land, we all wait in anticipation for the heavens and the universes to be recreated and evil erased forever. And because of this vision, because of all these visions that we just saw, we all have reason to look forward and to move forward in the face of adversity and setback. 
our hearts and souls, we're given a vision of a greater mission where we partner with God to preach the message of good news wherever we are, no matter the circumstance. And if through our labor, if through the grace of God, people are saved, then we rejoice. And if through our labor, we face suffering, we rejoice as well, knowing that none of us labor and that none of our suffering is wasted. None of it is in vain. And so, brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you today to continue to persevere for your faith, to count it as an honor when you face suffering for your faith, for your mission is indeed an honorable mission and a noble mission given to you by God. To count it as an honor to be able to walk the same path that Christ did, to suffer and to die. And through this path of suffering, to be transformed, literally, into Christ's likeness. To experience suffering as Christ did himself. Why don't we come together in prayer? Heavenly Father, we come before you today to thank you for the vision and mission you have placed within our hearts. To be willing to suffer for your mission in preaching the message of good news to all who have ears to hear. So let us today put our faith in you in the same way that those three friends in the book of Daniel did. We acknowledge that in you all things indeed are possible. That you have the power to save us in a time of distress. But even if you do not, we are proud to suffer and to die for you and to walk on the same path that your son did. And if we conquer even the fear of death itself, knowing that there is a better resurrection and a better plan that has been promised, who can stop us? As a, as a cliff stands defiantly against the crashing of the waves, so we stand defiantly against suffering and persecution, knowing that a perfected future is within our reach. And so be with us today, Father, and develop within us a strength to endure. Allow the Holy Spirit to grow within us and develop within us the true peace that can only be found in the Gospels. We pray all this in your precious Son's name. Amen.